I was very disappointed to learn the other day that live from here doesn't go out live. It doesn't? They record it? Well, I went to the, the taping on Friday night and then they were like, and this will air tomorrow. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Could That's come up that with a better name there? Yeah, you had the choice of renaming the entire program. Yeah. You shouldn't have named it something live. Yeah. I guess pre-recorded from here doesn't have the same ring to it. Pre-recorded from here. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe change the podcast name to pre-recorded from here. There we go. Yeah. Well, hello and welcome to Pre-Recorded From Here. I'm your host, Jeremy <laughs> Dillon. I'm here with Christian Lehas. G'day and welcome to my favorite album. I'm journalist and filmmaker Jeremy Dillon. In each episode, I'll be talking to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired them. I didn't notice it was getting late. You offered me a place to stay. We live up in the Palisades. Tell your folks you ran away. Besides, you're a north sider now. Nothing's going to change it now. Contrary to many parents of musicians, my guest today was given a guitar by his mother at the age of 12 under the theory that it would make him a more well-rounded human being. Three years later, he dropped out of school. <laughs> With early influences ranging from Nirvana to Weird Al Yankovic... He's become your favourite LA musician's favourite LA musician, and he's about to head off on tour with Phoebe Bridges in Australia and then the Better Oblivion Community Centre throughout the United States. Christian Lee Hudson, welcome to my favourite album. Thank you. That information is really cracking me up and is all correct. <laughs> Good. Get the fact-checking out of the yeah, way early. Yeah. Actually, let's get the plugs out of the way early too. Is there anything you'd like to plug at the top of things so I don't forget to ask at the end of the um, episode I think you kind of covered it we have a tour the tour with Phoebe in Australia and a couple of dates in Japan and then the Better Oblivion Community Center tour happens in the US and in Europe in March through May and releasing some music March 1st Ooh. a single yeah it's March it's going to be an exciting month yeah I'm so pumped cool okay well <laughs> Christian yeah what's your favorite album my favorite album is XO by Elliot Smith. Baby Britain feels the best. Floating over a sea of vodka. Separated from the rest. Fights problems with bigger problems. Sings the ocean for the Counts the waves as somehow. So, what's your origin story with this record? When did you come to it? Was this your first exposure to Elliot Smith? Give me the backstory here. I found it when I was like 13 years old or something. 14? It would have been like the year after Elliot died. There was like something, his posthumous record was being advertised in the newspaper. 
And for some reason, I used to read like the calendar section of the newspaper here when I was a kid. And I read about that record. And then my dad took me to the Virgin record store or whatever, and we bought it. And then we got in the car and we listened to it. And I made my dad take me back the next day. And we bought all of the other <laughs> L.A. Smith <laughs> CDs that were there. Yeah, that was just the one that I felt like was, I, I just listened to it actually on the way over here and it still like gives me that feeling. It's perfect from cover to cover, in my opinion. I love, love that record so much. It's kind of, I wouldn't say atypical for Elliot Smith, but it does cut against the kind of cliched conception of what his music is like. I think definitely in the popular imagination, Elliot Smith records are all like, you know, miserable mm-hmm. um, solo acoustic guitar right. downer songs, basically. Yeah. And this has got a lot more complexity and there's a lot more to it, both from a production standpoint mm-hmm. and from the diversity of the emotional textures on the record. Yes, totally. I was just thinking about today how, yeah, I didn't listen to, I didn't know what order all of those records came out in, but now listening to it and hearing it after all of those like four track double tracked everything acoustic records i was thinking it's kind of like everything that he does happens on that record his versatility or whatever is showcased really well because you still have like the kind of really intense like bummer double tracked like demo-y sounding things but then like you have like these fully orchestrated things with like string sections and pianos and like he like pretends to be the beatles and then he's back you know doing his own thing and (laughs) i think it like flows really nicely i don't know honestly i I don't really know it's difficult for me to tell now if it's special to me because i found it you know like how sometimes you find music at just like the right time and you try to show it to other people and then they're like "Uh, this sucks man And then you like wonder if you're like crazy or like if you just like the thing that sucks, but maybe what it really was is it connected while you were experiencing like another thing. And for me, like finding that as like a 14 year old kid, I I don't know, it's so deeply connected to what was like a really good year in my life, I guess, or in so many memories of just listening to that record over and over again, like walking home from school, taking the bus, you know, as I was falling asleep at night, so much so that my adult opinion on it, I don't know where the nostalgia ends and where the you know, actual intellectual assessment of the music begins. Well, it's funny to hear you say that because I, I feel like it might not be a unique relationship that you have to this record, but I don't think most people think of like listening to Elliot Smith records to conjure up happy, nostalgic <laughs> memories of childhood. Sure, yeah, right. Which is funny because I feel like now, if you separate like what most people know about him from his music, if you were to listen to, or if for me listening to that record, if I like forget that he's killed himself or you know like the, all the sad parts about his life, it sounds like a really melodically dense, like fun exploration of like all of the things that he was a fan of. And like an opportunity, I guess, for him at that point to get to try on all these different like clothes that 
as a record maker that he hadn't been able to because he was limited by the equipment that he could use and the budget constraints of being like an independent recording artist in 1998. I mean, we should mention probably playing off that, that this was his major label debut. He got Mm -hmm. signed. He probably had a budget probably for the first time, like a real... Yeah. Budget. He's able to come to LA and, Mm -hmm. you know, got to work with John Bryan and people on this (laughs) record. So it's being able to spend time in a studio and have other musicians working with him. Just the luxury of that, being able to deploy his imagination Mm -hmm. through those kind of tools would have been a new thing for him at the time. Yeah. I think, and I've heard all of those stories about, you know, whatever you like recorded in like a stairwell with the on a four track recorder and then this was his moment where he got to yeah he had a budget and got to go to like Capitol records i guess and record a string section at Capitol. i feel like you know like knowing that stuff now if i were to make a judgment about like if that record were made now by an artist who was like a lo-fi artist i would most likely probably make a judgment of it that it was like a betrayal or something like 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 a sellout yeah, but I feel like he's one of the few people that did that thing kind of well and maintained, like, it isn't insane, like, it's like higher fidelity and there are other elements of it that make it not sound like a bedroom recording, but, you know, I feel like it's a modest step up for him at that point in his career. <laughs> if it was someone else, though, now I'd be like, if it was like Alex G or someone like that, and they were like, yeah, I'm going to have like this hi-fi record now after releasing these like bedroom records for a long time, and it's like all studio Pro Tools sounding, I might be like, ah, that fucking sucks. It does speak to how much context informs your first impressions of music sometimes. Even just like, you know, there's so much retrospective filtering of Elliot Smith's music mm-hmm. through the lens of him having committed suicide. Definitely. And I've seen all this stuff where people like are forensically picking apart yeah. lyrics on the songs as like this was a hint or this was like a clue that this stuff was going on in his head or that he was thinking about whatever and it's just maybe but like Yeah. Or maybe it's just a lyric. Right. I don't know I mean, all I have to go on, I guess, is my own experience, but suicide seems like an event that would be difficult to predict if you're the person who's planning on doing it, because if that's something that you know is a part of your plan, <laughs> a part of your plan, though, I don't know. I can't see that you necessarily like writing about it. All of the, you know, like forensic digging through his lyrics to, to psychoanalyze him or whatever seems kind of silly. To me, though, as like a 14-year-old kid, like that was definitely a part of it. Might have even been like what piqued my interest when I read about him or something like that. It, you know, that's such a scary idea or whatever at any age that someone could want to take their own life. It's like creepy <laughs> to think about kind of. So maybe that is what drew me in. So I understand why people, I guess, would want to pick it apart and, and try and use things that he wrote about or something to justify it but it is sort of silly because when i listen to it now and don't think about it it's like sounds very happy kind of to me and just like kind of about like basic human relationships and not necessarily trying to like mask a deeper like dark future secret or something yeah and i think there's sometimes a temptation or a desire from people like when to create reductive ideas of artists and if the idea of Elliot Smith that someone has is like because of what transpired that the fundamental thing about him is that 
he was deeply depressed and sad all the time. Mm-hmm. So then they want the music to reflect that. But depressed people are perfectly capable of writing songs about happy emotions or feelings or, you know. It's, right. I guess it's kind of the, like the Brian Wilson thing. Yeah. He wrote plenty of like happy songs about surfing and And like girls. lucid songs that make sense. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously, for a portion of his life, that wasn't things, you know, maybe weren't making sense to him. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's more comfortable for us to like, or it makes more sense and it saves time for a lot of people to put, you know, like the artists that you listen to are like things that you consume. And it's easier to like broadly define them as one thing so that you can consume it without having to think about the human spirit of that person. I think a part of that is maybe more romantic or something like that and makes people feel like they are not just like floating out there in the universe with no meaning that there's like some secret meaning to something that they don't have access to but someone else does first the mic then a half So what were the songs on this record that particularly resonated with you? I think Waltz number two is like the first one that the EXO mom song. Because I remember putting on the record when I was a kid, I was sitting in my dad's Jeep Cherokee, listening through after we left Virgin, and I didn't like the first song. That was my immediate reaction. I was like, this is not the same thing. I don't like it. But then by the time we got to Waltz 2, which I think is like the third track on it, that kind of sucked me in. And then I don't know if you ever have this experience with records that you come to like really really love but having like one anchor song that like justifies all the rest of the songs and then slowly as you like because obviously we don't you know i don't know how you listen to music but i don't really listen to music necessarily in the way that i did then where you have to sit through all of it or like there's more incentive to sit through all of it because it's on a cd and it's like sometimes you just let it play as opposed to skipping around and picking out making a playlist of just your favorite songs but like that song, Baby Britain after that, Independence Day, I feel like was a big one for me. I didn't understand the last song on the record is probably like my favorite, one of my favorite songs of all time and definitely my favorite Elliot Smith song, I think. But definitely through listening to like the few that immediately caught me, it like spread. And, and then I was like, yeah, like fucking, I didn't really like bled white but now i like really like it because i have listened to it (laughs) trying to get to these other songs so many times that it now i don't know what makes it special i guess just you're familiar with it and know what to expect after that point and then now i listen to it in like this overly like mournful (laughs) just for my childhood kind of way but yeah didn't like it at first (laughs) 
What did your parents think of the record? You were like making them all, making them listen to it while you're driving around in the car. My dad really liked it. My dad actually became a huge Elliott Smith fan out of that, which is very funny because his musical exploration doesn't go that far. He doesn't like seek out new music, so he listens to like Hank Williams Jr. and Elliott Smith. And like interesting combination. It's a very interesting combination. But I know that obviously he knows the difference between the two things, but he doesn't think about it as like drastically different worlds. It's all just like music still. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't think there's a cognitive dissonance between <laughs> loving both of those artists. No, I don't, I don't think so. Which is funny because, or I've always thought it was kind of funny because one of the things when I was a kid, politics aside, that made me feel like it was cool to listen to Hank Williams Jr. with my dad was the fact that there was like some live bootleg of Elliot Smith covering a Hank Williams Jr. song. Which, which one do, was it? Do, Family do, Tradition? Or? No, he might do that. He does actually a few. It's very surprising. But there's a live bootleg or something of him playing All My Rowdy Friends Have Settled Down. Oh, really? Yeah. And like that, like... That's cool. My dad and I were able to like bond over like something that before had like sort of embarrassed me. My dad would like pick me up from school and be blasting like the one Hank Williams Jr. CD (laughs) that he had in Santa Monica. And it just like really embarrassed me. But then I got into Elliot Smith and like this one small thing that I found like through a deep internet dark hole of like looking for every Elliot Smith bootleg, him covering one Hank Williams Jr. song completely legitimized (laughs) Hank Williams Jr. for me as like a 14-year-old kid. And I was like, yeah, like I listen to Hank Williams Jr. Like, because Elliot did. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. You want to hear a country song? (laughs) All my rowdy friends have settled down. To get drunk and get loud (laughs) Everybody just wants to go back home I myself have seen my wilder days And I have seen my name at the top of the page I would love if Hank Williams Jr. suddenly had some kind of Silver Lake resurgence. I feel like he did for like, (laughs) before like Obama was president, there was like, it was at least in like my circle of friends, I noticed like a lot of very hip people like to like name check Hank Williams Jr. I don't think there's any chance of that happening again (laughs) after everything, like how publicly he committed career suicide and proved that he's like a horrible horrible person so yeah i don't think that there's any chance of a hank williams jr resurgence you're not going to be playing all my rowdy friends have settled down on the uh, i don't think so you tour. <laughs> though i do like that song i <laughs> well yeah. when you get around to doing a spotify single yeah <laughs> i do a spotify single of all my rowdy friends can settle down that's the b-side yeah 
I was a deep Elliot Smith nerd when I was in high school. There was a blog that was on the internet that I like followed that was all Elliot Smith stuff and they would always upload his like badly recorded sets or whatever from his whole touring career. Had, like leak demos of like a friend of a friend would have had like a found a demo CD or you know stuff like that but that's making me want to see if that still exists and track down these Hank Williams Elliot Smith covers. <laughs> There's a photo of him in a Hank Williams Jr. t-shirt which is just so funny that that collision of worlds was like so specific to my dad and I's <laughs> interests or whatever that being a crossover for us. My mom, I still don't think she knows who Elliot Smith is and isn't neither of them are very like musical people at all like they don't really like listen to music in a way that i see everyone else in my life <laughs> listen to music <laughs> my mom i can never remember her listening to like the radio or putting on a cd or anything like that at home or in the car or anything like that and i still don't really think that she listens to music for like pleasure or, or anything but is like not offended by it when it's on good um, i'm glad yeah. to hear your mother is yeah. not offended by music <laughs> yeah well we, i don't know we can ask her but <laughs> make sure. But yeah, my dad liked it. My dad still likes Elliot Smith. I played a tribute show, Elliot Smith tribute show recently, and my dad happened to be in town from Ohio. And it was like the highlight of his trip, getting to hear like all these Elliot Smith songs, which is so funny because like six months earlier, he was asking me what the best seat to buy at a Kid Rock concert would be. <laughs> <laughs> what was your recommendation? I <laughs> I tried to break it down. I was like, where is it? And he's like, it's at the arena in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And he's like, I just want to know if there's a difference between should I get floor seats or sh where should I sit? And I was like, well, it's Kid Rock. It's an arena. They probably have cameras. So I don't think you'll be able to see everything pretty much no matter where you sit. So I'd probably go for the cheaper ones because do you need to be that close to him? Like you're not going to get close. You might to catch him. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think he got the pricier ones. He got like pretty close up. Yeah. <laughs> but then that and like Elliot Smith, it's such a. <laughs> I waited for a bus to separate the both of us and take me off away from you. Cause my feelings never change a bit. I always feel like shit. I don't know why. I guess that I just do. You once talked to me about love And you painted pictures of A never, never land And I could have gone to that place But I didn't understand I didn't understand I didn't understand what songs did you do at the Elliott Smith tribute gig? I did. I didn't understand. And I was going to do Independence Day, but at the last minute did a song from Figure Eight called I Better Be Quiet. Who else was on the bill for that? Phoebe played. Sean and Sarah Watkins played. My friend Johanna Samuels organized it. And she played. Aaron Embry, who used to play with Elliott, played like piano and guitar with him, played. Ethan Gruska played. He was one of my favorite parts of it oh meg hand habits meg duffy played she was fantastic yeah a lot of 
LA locals. It's funny how much he's identified with LA and how much of a legacy seems to have left amongst people in the scene here, Mm -hmm. considering that he only spent the last few years of his life and career, I guess, in like the whole initial period was before he moved here. Yeah. Yeah, that is funny. I've never, I guess, talked to anyone in like Portland or I don't know if they like claim him in the same way that LA does, but my guess would probably be that a lot of the same songwriters that maybe played with him and like were a part of that Largo scene are still kicking around and some of the only people willing to like share stories about him and talk about him. And it seems like maybe the rest of the people that knew him in other parts of his life are not as eager to discuss him or maybe they are more private in their mourning or not as vocal maybe i don't know i guess there'd be a lot of people who are broadly i guess your peer group who would be big elliot smith fans too i know phoebe's a big big elliot smith fan. phoebe is jenny i think is a big elliot smith fan yeah. jenny lewis for jenny lewis listening. yeah connor oberst is a big elliot fan yeah that's like a musical point of reference that gets tossed around a lot when we're in settings playing music together there's like someone plays like some specific chord change it's like there's a very elliot sounding thing that everyone's aware of and as i'm thinking about it now i'm like i don't think i've ever talked to jenny about elliot though i know that we've like played some Elliot songs or something at her house before, but my knowledge of her fanhood might be from like a time where I was a Jenny Lewis or Rilo Kylie fan in the sure. past and was like read something about the connection. She and Blake both wrote songs that are at least allegedly about Elliot mm-hmm. on More Adventurous on that record. That's right. I've always actually wanted to ask her about that. There's a song... It Just Is or whatever, yeah. that song. I think I'd heard was rumored to be about him, but I didn't know if it was or not. And then the Ripcord or something is the other one. Yeah. On it's kind of a very confusing. <laughs> if it is about Elliot, it's kind of an aggressive <laughs> take on Elliot Smith, maybe. I don't know <laughs> if you're familiar with that song. So what's his influence been on your songwriting? I mean, there's, as we were just saying, there's... Some people have written songs about him. Right. He seems to have cast a shadow across a lot of songwriters of your generation mm-hmm. and older. What, what would you say is the influence he's had on you as a songwriter? I think that he got me addicted to like using a lot of chord changes and like passing chords. And I have to stop myself sometimes from like using like it's such a comfortable world to live in. Like his the shapes that he uses and moves between on the guitar i definitely think like arrangement wise more so than songwriting than like a lyrical or melodic thing i I feel like i find myself wanting to get close to the world just the sonic world that his recordings i guess exist in like i really love things that are just like really quiet and like double tracked and like feel like they're happening in your ear like someone's like whispering directly into your ear I don't know if he's had any like kind of lyrical influence on me. I think listening to his music like was and is still a very like feels like it gives me like the license to like I feel like oh I'm allowed to play by myself and it is fine. <laughs> yeah, that is allowed just in the same way that like I feel like a lot of people talk about when like Nirvana came out or whatever like the fact that they like sounded like shit like gave a lot of people courage <laughs> to <laughs> 
in like the coolest you know way they sounded like a, a real band gave a lot of people courage to like start bands and stuff like that i feel like elliot smith i often revisit his music and it gives me courage to be like i like to be a solo singer songwriter and and you're allowed to sing songs that you wrote with just you and like a finger picked acoustic guitar and that can be just as compelling as like arcade fire <laughs> style band <laughs> so i understand there's a song that you've written which could be described as elliot smith singing about the waffle house oh yeah there's <laughs> that's really funny it isn't a song that i wrote but it i improvised like phoebe and i were hanging out a couple years ago and i was just playing like Elliot style chord progressions, but singing about Waffle House instead of <laughs> instead of like a, a really sad thing. And it made Waffle House sound like actually made Waffle House sound kind of like what Waffle House is, which is of sad a pit of despair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I wouldn't call it a song. I would call it like a boarded, like rambling, <laughs> improvised Elliot Smith impression. So it's not on your upcoming record? No. I mean, though, now that you say it, I wonder if we should go and try and dig that up and, you know, finish it. Hey, there's still time, man. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. I saw you between all the people out making the scene and a bright When you go back and listen to this record now, how has it changed over the year? How much of the experience of listening to the record is rooted in the sort of nostalgia for your childhood when you were listening to it? And and what else is there to that experience now as a more or less grown man? Mm -hmm. I notice now the lyrics are like secondary to me i don't really notice them anymore but what i notice now is like i'm always still discovering arrangement things that i hadn't recognized when i was a kid i feel like it's like this text or something that i've studied for like 15 years and now i'm like i slowly start to understand more of it like theoretically or whatever music theory wise i don't know though i mean i still get all the same feelings It's so hard to apply them to my life right now, though. I do get sucked back to that place where I was a kid. And it is a very useful record if there's ever, like, something that I'm writing that I really need to be able to access, like, feelings that I don't feel as, like, a full-grown man. (laughs) It's a very useful... His music in, in general, but that record in particular, is a very useful thing to put back on and get there and remember what it felt like to... Not that I still don't feel like I... Like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I had a mixture of that and hope that was like really sad to me. And (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's not the right (laughs) answer, but it's definitely more of a nostalgic record for me. And the things that I get from it that are new 
are mainly musical ideas and just motifs that I hadn't really noticed. There's so many of his melodies that happen elsewhere on other records and other things. It feels like he's always like referencing like himself without you realizing it. But as I listened to it today, actually, I was like, whoa, that is a melody from another record. It's crazy. It makes me want to do something like that. Well, what do they say? Like self-plagiarism is just called style? Wait, what is that? Like when you plagiarize from yourself, it's just called having a style? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. You're allowed to steal from yourself. Yeah, what's the difference though between stealing from yourself and repeating yourself? My favorite piece of music history legal chicanery is when John Fogarty lost the rights to all his Credence Clearwater Revival songs. Oh, yeah. And then he put out the album Centerfield. Mm-hmm. There's a song on that record that was a hit called Old Man Lives Down the Road. Uh-huh. And he got sued by the people who owned his Credence catalogue for it being <laughs> plagiarised from Run Through the Jungle, a song he'd written, you know, six or seven years earlier for Credence. And he had to get his guitar out on the stand in court and demonstrate that the similarities were just his style of songwriting, not direct plagiarism from one of his songs to another one of his songs. And how did it shake out? Did he... I think he won, actually. Wow. I feel like in this world, I would expect him not to have won in that one. (laughs) That's the most obvious outcome. Can you imagine if that precedent was set, though? Like how many, like the Stones would be screwed. (laughs) Keith Richards would be like... Yeah. (laughs) I I guess it's fine if you own the stuff that you've been... Yeah, but if you're stealing from yourself, like when Michael Jackson bought like a bunch of the Beatles catalog or something like that, if Paul McCartney wanted to go and like make like a, a, I don't even know when he bought that, but if like he could have sued him for like RAM or something like that and been like, well, see, this is obviously, uh, it's not going to work here, uh, that we own the Beatles. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Man, people get into so many predicaments with what they're publishing, huh? Yeah. Do you own your own publishing? Yes, I do. But I might sell it to Michael Jackson if he were still alive. <laughs> no. Have you heard all of the Tom Waits stories where he like he was approached by like a, oh, like yeah, yeah. a corporation or something like that to do music for a commercial or for them to use one of his songs commercial? He said no and then they got like someone that sounded exactly like him. Didn't they wait, didn't they get Scream J. Hawkins or someone to do it? Oh, or I don't I'm know. Mixing that up with another story. I feel like it, had they gotten Screaming Jay Hawkins, he maybe wouldn't have sued or yeah. something. Whoever they got, I can't remember who it was. I have to look it up. But it was very obviously a ripoff of what Tom was doing. And yeah. he sued and won. Yeah, because you're meant to listen to that commercial and go like, oh, they got Tom Waits to do that thing. Exactly. It's like using his likeness or something. Yeah. It's a bit like when the producers of Ghostbusters apparently asked Huey Lewis in the news to do the theme song for Ghostbusters and turn them down and then I would Ray have Parker been. Jr. basically did I Want a New Drug with new lyrics to the theme song for Ghostbusters. Yeah, as you were saying that, I was like, I'd never have thought about who does that song, but it sounds like Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like I Want a New Drug by yeah. Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, oh my God. Anyway, to wrap this up, I'm going to just get a firm commitment from you here that if I can pull all the strings together, will you join me and co-produce a Elliott Smith tribute record entirely performed by Hank Williams Jr.? Absolutely. 100%. If you can get Hank on board and he's sober, we can talk about it. <laughs> Bocephus, yeah. if you're listening, <laughs> we can get... I'll, I'll, we'll, 
Call Gil and Dave and get Woodland Studios booked and Christine will play on it. Yeah. Man, that's such a reversal. That's exactly what you don't want to hear is Hank Williams. <laughs> cover. I want to hear Elliot Smith cover Hank Williams because it's funny. But Hank Williams, that would be like the biggest like bastardization. <laughs> like, like, he's like, yeah, I'll cover some Elliot Smith songs too. That sounds nice. You just do Waltz number two and yeah. Phoebe on backing vocals. Well, I'm never... <laughs> I can't. I was going to do an impression of him. You can't do it without... Oh, if you haven't seen it, there's a video of Hank Williams Jr. live and drunk on stage on YouTube. And it is life-changing video. It's very funny. I reference it constantly because he gets belligerent and drunk. And it's the things that he's saying are insane. He's like, I'm the five-time entertainer of the year, baby. But like in the middle of the song... (laughs) (laughs) I'll put a link on the show notes. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's a yeah. deal. We're yeah. making this record. Yes. We're shaking hands. I can't wait to make it. Christian, thanks so much for talking to me today about Thank your you. favorite album. Yeah. If this does come out by the time your new song's out in the world, what's it called? The new song is called Northsiders. Cool. And presumably available in all the good and evil music retailers. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, if that's out, go and buy it now. All right. <laughs> and then watch that video of Hank Williams Jr. drunk on stage. Yes. Unrelated, I don't endorse anything that Hank Williams Jr. has ever said or done. Thank you. Except the upcoming Elliot Smith tribute record that we are producing. Right, his redemption, Hank's redemption. That's the name. <laughs> Hank's redemption, a tribute to Elliot Smith. <laughs> album of the year, Grammy 2021. <laughs> Roots album of the year. Yeah. yeah. Sweep the Americana Awards. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks so much. <laughs> I was new in town. I met you in the science quad You asked if I had any pot We're going up to Mikey's spot Covering important ground Tried cocaine at my cousin's house Yeah, I'm probably addicted now The things that children lie about Well, that's it for another episode of My Favourite Album. Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavoritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. Nothing's going to change it then didn't trust the government said that we were communists and thought that we invented it Morrissey apologists amateur psychologists serial monogamists we went to different colleges but you said that we would always be Branches on the same old tree Reaching away from each other for eternity And you know I can't argue with that Nothing's going to change it now
could have had one last hurrah when I was working in the smoothie shop. But I couldn't get the weekend off. She told me I was getting soft. I read an article about the accident, probably reaching for cigarettes and missed the brake lights up ahead. I hope it was an instant death. Sometimes I imagine us way down the line, getting fat somewhere in the countryside. It's crazy how things shake out sometimes. But maybe that's enough magic for me. Nothing's going to change.